0: Hello everyone and welcome to episode 10 of DM Discussions, the podcast for players and DMs alike where we cover a wide variety of topics to help you with your games. I'm your host Ryan Reader and with me as always is Ben Bumhofer and tonight our very special guest, Beau Schwartz, DM of There Will Be Dungeons as well as many other things. How are you guys doing tonight?
1: Oh, guests first, Bo. How are you?
0: I'm doing good. It's later in the
2: evening, so thank you for accommodating me, and uh, I'm excited to talk about Dungeons and
1: Dragons. Oh, We're really happy to have you on, actually. When, when Ryan said, hey, maybe we'll see if we can get Bo on for episode 10, I kind of maybe you know did a little happy dance in my chair, and I'm very excited to have you with us, so thank you very much for joining us.
2: That's great. I'm, it's an honor to be asked. Uh,
0: I've known Bo for quite a while now and yeah, we shared I a bed was... even
2: <laughs> we, in a, in a know, purely it, platonic we're both checking up technically a true for a trip yeah, nice, technically you
0: true know. you know you got it when, when BlizzCon happens and you got to save money you got to do what you got to do
2: the, you see uh, our mutual friend John Jagger would not share a bed with me no he, he generally <laughs> even though doesn't have the opportunity even. <laughs>
1: He had the opportunity to do so. Well, and I mean, to be fair, Bo, you really look like a snuggler. So I, I, I think that he made a mistake just saying no. I mean, we had a pillow wall. Yeah, was had a pillow pillow wall. we had a
2: tr- we had a Trump wall between me and. and <laughs> it, worked, know, it, it worked out. Accidental we, we lifetime adventures, wall. but
0: yeah. <laughs> well, we're excited to have you, and uh, tonight we're actually going to be. As you may have guessed, uh, interviewing Bo, and we're going to talk to him a little bit about the world he's created and some of his experiences being a DM, especially for a uh, popular play campaign show. And we'll tell you all about his stuff, uh, at the end of the show. And I'm sure you'll hear some about it as we, as we kind of talk to him. But first off, uh, Bo, uh, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about homebrewing. Because, uh, specifically for There Will Be Dungeons, but I'm, I'm sure you've DM'd more beyond just this, but specifically for There Will Be Dungeons, you've homebrewed a lot of the world itself and a lot of the, the items and, uh, just even the monsters and environments. So can you, can you tell us a little bit of, of your experience, uh, homebrew versus something like, Okay, I picked up this module, this book, they've got everything laid out for me. Here's the the stuff we have to get done versus holy crap, I am making up all this myself.
2: Um Do you mean like how like like why we would have homebrewed?
0: I mean partially that's... partially the why yes. and partially um the experience, because it's probably a lot more time consuming to do it that way versus versus a book. So what are your what are your kind of tips and tricks for homebrewing? Uh why did you decide to go that route? And how how's the experience been having to basically come up with everything yourself beyond just like core rules?
2: Okay. So um I think it's probably true that homebrew takes more time. I think that just depends on how much time you spend homebrewing <laughs> because <laughs> um you know uh, assembling maps in roll 20 or at your table and collecting the miniatures all stuff i would consider time uh spent uh prepping can still be oops sorry i'm playing with my d20 i'll stop doing that now. it's okay uh, that's that's actually encouraged that, i just no, have so much so many guys uh... on my table and it makes tons of noise and i know i would do it during the show but that kind of tactile feedback sort of okay there but Sometimes when I'm not doing that show, anyways, um, it's very so, appropriate
0: for the show you're the, on.
2: Homebrewing, I mean, I think, I think it takes more time, but the reason why there's different types of groups, and there's a few, there's a few, there's a confluence of reasons why homebrew made sense for there will be dungeons. Um, we're doing a show, so it's not just playing for with, you know, for my friends. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is. Um, you know there's an ask involved with people spending time listening three hours at a chunk it's at It's a time that not everyone can make even if they want to because listen to other shows or they wanna be supportive like my mother likes to listen to my stuff, but she won't listen to their' be dungeons it's too long <laughs> um and too nerdy um and so, but you know for the people who do listen and the people who are participating. Uh, I, you know, I, I sort of personally, I don't think it would be fun to listen to, you know, another playthrough of what's a module, the rise of Tiamat or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, like uh, yeah. something special, like, uh, you know, come to our tent, we have this special thing going on. So I think that extra effort makes it worth it for the show. Um, that being said, there's nothing wrong with doing a Let's Play and playing a campaign. I just felt that, uh, well, campaigns are pretty serious. And I'm not very serious. And Scott's not very <laughs> serious. And and so there's a sense that, you know, I don't know. I think you can find humor and fun in anything. But I just had a sense that I wanted to create something special. So I have, in personal games, run both Homebrew and both Adventure modules kind of a mishmash of both played a lot of 4e in my adult dming days Mm -hmm. and so it was also it was also a lot easier to take the modules from that era because they were designed on the points of light philosophy and not set in forgotten realms or whatever and just kind of use that information a little more modularly which is actually my preference my biggest one of my big gripes with 5e is how very forgotten realms (laughs) or world specific curse of straw and what and you know that's great and if you like that that's great but that doesn't really i don't really like that because i don't really i hate studying so you know (laughs) you feel like you need to know a lot of the lore and stuff at the time that i was in university you know i would go to class and take zero notes and if i took notes I would never refer to them again. Sometimes I'd be like, oh, I'm going (laughs) to check them later this time. I know that. No, it's get tossed into a bookshelf. And when exam time comes, I just go, I'm just rolling the dice like that. I am just not (laughs) great at studying. So the same is true for me with D and D. I look at the four E adventure modules were a lot more palatable because the books were smaller and lots of pictures and and graphs. The five E modules are horrifying. I, I own a couple. I've, I maybe read 10 words total in those modules. They're they're unreadable to me. (laughs) I just start reading and I'm like, this is is boring. (laughs) Um, So it feels like studying. So part of doing homebrew is also laziness. (laughs) So laziness
0: is your homebrew? Wow.
2: Yeah. Well, you know, cheaters never prosper. Homebrew is technically more work. At the same time, I look at a blank piece of paper and see fun. And I look at a book and see, well, that sucks. Yeah. I don't want to read all this text. If the book had lots and lots of pictures and lots of (laughs) small worded paragraphs, like I would be more into using them, which is why I wish they'd go back to the 4e sort of scenario. But
1: do you, do you see it as kind of more of a, uh, you feel like you have a lot more control and more imagination when, I mean, obviously you do when you homebrew because you're creating everything, but versus a module where it's, there's not as much flexibility or, you know, maybe you don't feel the same sort of connection to certain characters compared to like something that you create yourself.
2: It depends who you're playing with and what your goals are with the game. I mean D&D that's why I think I believe like there's so many endless conversations to have about it because it's not just a single thing. So I would totally you know if I'm you know working my job and I got kids to raise and the friends that you know we want to play some d d on the weekend I'm not gonna be able to make maps from scratch and design a whole world on spec in two weeks for a new mm-hmm. game. I think modules are great like I think I think that's a good service, and I've used them in that way. I just appreciate when they're concise and easy yeah. to read. Um, but even so, you know, uh, the ba- the starter kits have fairly digestible adventure in it. If I had to start a new game on spec, I'd probably crack one open and attempt to read it, um, and then try and just put my own spin on it here or there. Just say that's not important. Um, there's I. I If it's a new DM, if you're listening and you're a newer DM, I would definitely recommend with going with the modules first and then, you know, just trying it out and and seeing how you go. So I don't think there's anything wrong with doing modules. I think that's probably, I think ultimately it's a better way to go because, because the time management is an issue with D &D. and D. If you're all in already on D and D and you're playing and you're doing the homebrew stuff, then you already have made that like a set. You've made that realize there's a sudden realization somewhere along the line where you're like, wow, I spend like 30 hours of my hobby time by myself prepping all this stuff and I can barely get my <laughs> group together to play. It's once oh. a month if oh, I'm lucky. Man. And when people say, oh, I can't make it because of my kids, you put on a brave face and say, that's okay. Maybe next time. <laughs> and inside, you're like, man, I just spent 120 hours of time on this campaign that I was looking forward to and we don't get to play. You know, you get a little resentful, not of your friends and people, but just of the situation. Here okay. you are with a passion and nowhere to exert it. And a lot of the people who listen to the show often express their reason for listening is because have they have a desire to have a group of friends to play D&D with, but don't have one. So, you know, they're, they're it makes it difficult to justify spending a lot of time on the hobby without growing resentful towards it. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's important f- for for me as a dungeon master it's important that cuz as i said i don't like to study i don't really like to prep i like making the the creativity side of it but i kind of want it all done in 15 minutes <laughs> like i'm like <laughs> i'll go for a walk i have this idea i have this idea i have this idea i have this idea great now i got to sit down and open up map making programs and roll 20 and figure out how because, you know, what's in your head, I have I own a ton of tiles on Roll20, for example. We use a virtual tabletop for the show. Mm-hmm. It's become, for their video game-brained minds, and I think with how, again, Tactile 5E is with grid combat, it makes sense for our group over the internet to have that kind of visual. But, man... Nothing I buy fits what I'm like thinking I need this encounter to look (laughs) like. And so then you have this situation where you're like, I I want, you know, guys up on rafters and I want this guy in a hole. And like, you're just like, none of this looks like what I want. And you spend hours and hours shopping all the tiles. And like, well, I can't draw my own damn tiles. And if there's a nice way, like I've been considering, I don't even know if this is possible or not, but I'm at the point where I'm considering, because I I, I like to uh, write with. Wet marker on the, the dry erase mm-hmm. pads. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, if there's some way that I could wake calm <laughs> the battle maps on spec or at least prep, but just sketch them out and do them really nasty, like because I'm I'm not I'm, I'm not big on the discipline of spending time. And I mean, you know, I do a lot of shows in the week. I have a full time gig. Like I do have limited time. I want yeah. that time to be when I'm also feeling that I have the energy and inspiration to work through something to have some sort of meaningful profit from it. So I don't have a lot of time to dilly-dally and
1: so, I don't know if this is
2: directly answering your question but <laughs> home it doesn't these things will come up regardless of whether something's brewed or not really. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, right? yeah, but you know, there's, it,
0: there's prep either way.
2: There's it's a different experience for me too. The rate of production for a show is weekly and we play for 3 hours and that doesn't sound like too much in D&D terms, but the fact that we can get we've done 80 shows we've gotten together for nearly 80 consecutive weeks to play is a completely different beast that I've never experienced mm-hmm. in real life, where I've had a group who's met 80 consecutive times to play. D and D for me is like, it's a all night sort of starting at four, ending at midnight or one. We're like, Oh, I think we should quit. <laughs> um, sort of experience and things take time, but it's okay. Cause we're also socializing and catching up as we play. Yeah. I and mean, that's just yeah. my groups. Um, sure. And, and, but that's like once a month or once every two months, like that rate is really slow or I do a one shot here or there. Um, So this is a completely different beast for me too. So I'm a little bit like, yeah, homebrew tough. Homebrew every week is a challenge. No. Say, you know, I, I, wouldn't sure. recommend, I wouldn't recommend it to anybody. But <laughs> <laughs> so you're doing it because you like to do it. And what, the reason I would spend any time at all doing it is because I enjoy hearing from people and the players that they enjoy the special thing we made. Mm -hmm. But, you know, if we were just all in our house coats, (laughs) I don't know why we'd be wearing house coats, with a cigar (laughs) and and whiskey. (laughs) Of course. You know, in our basement once every month or two, chances are in a month or two, I've prepped enough for us to do, but, um, you know, uh, I have a little bit less pressure that I put on myself to make things as original necessarily. I'd probably, you know, pull some stuff from books and things like that,
0: gotcha. man. I'd, I'd tell you when you were talking about the whole scheduling thing, you were basically like that <laughs> meme, you know, where it's like, I'm in this picture and I don't like it type thing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> That's yeah. That that was me. I was just like, Oh, Oh, my once a month game. Oh my, my once every maybe month and a half, mm-hmm. to two months game. Oh, it it hurts, Uh, but it is, it is very special, even though I'm sure it is a lot of work. It is very special to have that Mm -hmm. consistent group, that once a week thing that is, that is a super cool thing to have. And so kind of along those lines, how much time a week do you usually spend prepping versus I'm just making crap up on the spot?
2: Um, I mean, I'm always thinking about what's next. So the fun thing about people meeting consistently and doing your home brew, I think you can do this even with a module. But if you're using a module, you're maybe using it for a reason to have some, you know, have someone have done that work for you,
1: <laughs> yeah, or at least like uh, the, the beginning framework or something.
2: Yeah, the advantage the advantages are this: like one, everything is there because I decided that's how it was going to be that's a lot of responsibility, a lot of questions to answer a lot of blind spots. Cause sometimes you're like, you're in a desert, but there's a sewer system and you forget to about, you know, one of your players ask, how is this possible? You know, where's the water come from? <laughs> and you're like, Oh <laughs> sh- shit. I didn't think of that. And now, you know, the fantasy of the world's ruined. Like that happens all the time. No amount of prep is going to shore up my creative blind spots. And I'm just focused on what I think is cool. And you know some people are very like, but this world makes no sense. Um, I think, I think we had, I can't remember specifically, but I remember having a moment like that last episode where I'm like, oh, someone is trying to logic out how things are possible, <laughs> and I know I don't know the answer to that question. Um, and so those are the some of the dangers of homebrewing your world. The advantages of doing it this way is that. Things are not largely defined, so if you do happen to inspire any wonder in your players, because they don't know, and also you don't know, it's fun, you have an easier time playing with perception and and what that could be, right? Sure. You know, when you set out an adventure in a big wide world, you don't know what's out there. If I know everything that's out there, it's less fun for me as a DM, if that makes any sense. I don't know. I, I just think players are, are are very smart.
0: Yeah, and it's part of the whole concept of if your players say or think of something cool, take it and run with it because you can
2: Well, yeah, yeah. No, you can't do that 100% of the time. You can't do anything as a DM 100% of the time. But yes, that impulse is correct.
1: I, I mean, because if you
2: do that, if you 100% of the time, your players are going to be like, oh, everything we say just comes to life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'll, like, I'll, you know,
1: I'll, yeah.
2: Sorry, this is a conversation. No,
1: no, that's fine. Uh, I was just going to say, uh, <laughs> although I think every single listener of the show wants the Solar Minds to be exactly as Scott is, you know, describing everything that he sees or talks sure. about. <laughs> For anyone listening who
2: hasn't heard the show, Solar Minds is a, a lore place that Scott, who plays Nash, has decided his character was from and the world that we had, I just kind of defined it by where we're, or I think we're going and what's currently happening. So there's an entire map and most of it, I I don't know what's there. So, you know, uh, since the beginning, he's made up this thing that I'm from the solar mines and that's place where they mine the sun. It already (laughs) sounds ridiculous as title. What is a solar Mine? Does it have solar panels? But then just increasingly preposterous things, you know, the Twilight books were there. It's, you know, there's all kinds of strange, what you would call very Deadpool or very out of character sort of descriptions of what's there <laughs> that don't really jive to the rest of the world uh, are there. And I put it on a map after, you know, weeks of this, and I don't know what's there. I don't think Scott, who plays Nash, knows what's there. We don't know what's going (laughs) to, I don't know if we'll ever get there or go there. And the legend is almost better than the reality in many cases. I mean, you get that with fairy tales. Mm -hmm. So I find that's like just a fun thing to include in your campaign. Your group is probably not going to play that much. So it's not like an actual, you know how you play, I don't know, Red Dead Redemption and you uncover all the map, you visit all the areas, you've seen everything they made, it's done. So once you've done that, the wonders out of the world. But what if I told you you play an open world video game where there's unique characters all through the map, but you will never see them all. You'll see one percent of it. Gamers are like, "Oh, I'm going to stay up all night for months," and I, you know, that's a, they take that as a challenge. But in real life, there's seven billion of us. We're going to meet a very fractional percentage. And so, you know, even though the heroes are these exceptional people that travel and gain power, they will barely rub up against most of the world but they'll have an important story to tell so so to me there's kind of wonder and fun in, in taking something like that and leaving things out and so whatever piques the player's curiosity that's where we'll go and that's what's the nice thing about a consistent group because we can play for three to four hours and you ask me like well, how am I coming up with this I'm always thinking about it because as soon as the session ends I'm already thinking about what I'm doing next week. And that might involve, like, I think a few episodes ahead, but I might just go and wipe out the whole thing because something changed. And the players, the players, I think, my players are, are definitely aware that that's how we proceed. But but sometimes that's not true. Sometimes I have stuff planned and things are going according to plan. And sometimes, well, the thing five encounters out still applies but the thing in encounter two or three is going to change because i want to hurt one of them emotionally <laughs> and 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 i found a good opportunity to do so and i say that kind of glibly i don't, I don't mean that we can maybe yeah. talk about that later you but can mean it little was, little,
0: but it's okay uh
2: the question was this game is fairly unique in that i'm i constantly have to basically i don't want to say write the episode because the player's write the episode, but mm-hmm. I've got to set in motion whatever encounter or NPCs I think make sense for that week. And uh yeah, and I mean sometimes it'll be disjointed. I think sometimes people will people are listening to the game. I think about things like, oh, are they gonna worry about continuity and things like that? But I don't think that's that important. I think people are sitting at the table to have fun. So Yeah. As long yeah. as that's served.
0: As long I mean, as you guys are having fun, you're doing it. Right. Yeah, I mean, and I think it,
2: the fantasy of the world is important, but the players also kind of go like, what happened last week? And even though we do a re- recap, it still kind of takes a little time to get warmed up, mm-hmm. but yeah.
0: yeah. So kind of along those lines, too, you you said you've you've definitely been involved with those multi-week or uh, every other month or whatever games. What are what are some of the differences? Do you do you feel like with these every week games you can you know your players much more and potentially even can predict more accurately what they will do versus some game that you don't meet as often?
2: Um well, I only ever play with friends. I haven't, you know, done any DM for hire business or you know been dropped into an adventures league mm-hmm. or anything like that. It's usually it's a social friends experience for me. Um When we're first playing together the game, there can be new things to learn. And that's always challenging. Um, uh, But I think, you know, if you know your friends outside of it, you can kind of... I've played other games with my friends, so I kind of... Games reveal behavior. And so I've kind of already know my friends, I suppose, like anyone else, Mm -hmm. other than there will be dungeons. I have a sense of... What they're like to begin with. I know there, we have one who's a troll. <laughs> we have one who really likes RP, but is very shy. And also seems to just want to play very co-op characters, but doesn't have exciting time all the time. And that's something to manage, right? If you're the cleric mm-hmm. and you're just healing the dummies that are hurting themselves, and <laughs> they, they get to have grandiose moments. And here's just like, I cast healing. I fail in my attack role. Um, you know there's a there's a you get to know people's personalities and it's all in the name of having fun so i mean there's ever a problem i'm always open to talk about it with people but uh the difference being that it's a casual environment so you know if we were doing there will be dungeons and conversation lent too far away to say hey did you watch the debates or see that game last night you know can't really can't really do that uh, when we're performing for other people essentially mm-hmm. we have to keep our, our sort of ta- uh, eyes on the task not to say that if we stop because something's funny or something's really pressure, that's fine we've never had that problem on the show but certainly disruptive behavior would have to like maybe stop because we're there to play dungeons and dragons but in real life like because all my games have generally been social activities um i haven't had to do a lot of it like if everyone's into having a conversation about politics then we break for 30 minutes and get it out of our system the one thing i don't like and i'm i call out is if someone else is having a turn it's just as important for you to be the audience on their turn as it is when it's your turn Mm -hmm. and i have i've had that problem often because a lot of you're excited you're with friends you know when you're playing just a card game and you're kind of playing you kind of go over to your guy and you see it see a politician on tv what a dummy you know and you <laughs> might start chatting and it's easy to do the card game card game it's not super disruptive but if you're doing that while someone is you know saying oh little wolf i love you i want to make you my pet and it's having this tender moment and <laughs> everyone's just like not caring then that's pretty
0: bad but letting, letting people have their moments.
2: I mean, that's the difference. It's not so much the difference between a weekly show and the, a weekly session versus a casual once a month session. But if you're doing it weekly, I think even if there's no show, then you're probably taking it seriously. Yeah. And if you have a limited time on your hobby, like three to four hours, you probably want to make it count. If you're hanging out for like six or eight, maybe it doesn't matter that much. But if I was doing it weekly, I'd probably want to make sure we were paying attention to what everyone's doing.
1: Oh, yeah. And, um, I mean, that, that nope, just okay. goes in with uh, active playing on everybody's part, you know? Uh, when it's, you know, your turn, you, you want to make sure that your stuff is actually seen by other players and, and everything. Or if you're the DM, making sure that everybody knows what's going on because especially in like combat encounters, if people are like checking Facebook or, you know, having side conversations and stuff, combat just takes forever.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you were in an, an actual live theatrical performance, you start pulling out your phone and talk to the person next to you and <laughs> yeah. stuff like that. Like, like, not a movie theater, because people do all kinds of crazy things in a movie theater, but like an actual live theater. Everyone will know the actor will see you.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: He'll be in his role <laughs> or whatever, but they'll know. And yep. uh, yeah, it's, it's... Don't be a jerk. <laughs> I, think, I, think, I just think that same etiquette applies when you're playing D&D. Yeah, unless exactly. it's like casual sure. time and then anything kind of goes then.
0: Yeah. No, I I completely agree. I had a I had a in-person game that ended up falling apart and was kind of glad it did because we would get together for 6 or 8 hours and get an hour, hour and a half worth of stuff done because of distractions or you could just hang out. You don't on to play yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, exactly. I it's yeah. I schedule my time i want to play D. we're not playing D anD D.
2: well you yeah. dm right
0: we're all dms here yeah mm-hmm. yeah yeah
2: i mean that's the thing you know it's it, it was with more personal friends closer friends they saw the community episode they saw whatever you know critical role and they just want to get together have a good time and play that hip thing that's kind of in or whatever and if that's what it's going to be that's what it's going to be but um I just think you do need to be respectful. I mean, that's always something that sort of bothers me. I'm just like, hey, <laughs> <laughs> Focus! Take attention to your friends. And I, yeah, I well, I have one one player in particular uh, who's a very big troll. He, he's actually what the DMG would probably categorize as a problem player, but he's a really good friend, and you know, it's fine. He would not. <laughs> he would not. Well, he yeah, no, he definitely would not do well around strangers. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he's the uh, steal from one party member to the other party member and just do random chaos mm-hmm. things in, a, in an extremely gr- egregious way. I know that I'm kind of saying that and then when I had my turn to play, I definitely stole a book and tried to plant it on another character.
1: <laughs> in the universe, I mean. but, well, you know, you know, that's something entirely different.
2: If, if you're disruptive in a you know, not self-aggrandizing way, I guess, is the way to put it. But, yeah. Um, it's it's just, I don't want to say it's formal on There Will Be Dungeons, but I think we treat, try to treat our audience, and I try to treat the players with a lot of respect and sort of sanct, sanctimonious
0: about playing the game.
1: Well, no, it definitely comes think, across. Yeah, and I
0: think respect in any game, any any type of game is is a good thing to have. Just in general, I mean that's it's a it's a good kind of rule to play by. If you respect, or, I mean, if people are there for a certain thing and you respect that, everyone's going to have a lot more fun. Just in general. Um, so I think uh, next thing, though, is your your players in at least in there will be dungeons are level ten now
2: nine they or just nine, hit just, nine
0: just hit nine. Sorry, mm-hmm. I, I just uh was getting mixed up with a different game. Uh they just hit nine. You said eighty episodes. That's that three to four hours an episode, that's a lot of hours. Um I mean our average
2: run time is three hours. It's not nearly enough for D and no. D. But
0: it's kind of a it's you always kind of want the, to play more D and D.
2: Kinda of the right amount for a show. I mean way maybe we could do another hour, but it's kind of the right amount.
0: Yeah. No that's it's it's good. And it's nice for like podcast format or something for for car or commute listening. I like the longer shows for those type of things. They they tend to be good. But there's mm-hmm. there's always the type of people who just can't do long form shows. That's fine. The shorter form shows, but there's a lot of people who do enjoy the long form. But over those eighty episodes, those hundreds of hours and, and nine different levels, uh I wanted to talk a little bit about player challenge. What have you learned over the course of this time, uh, about challenging your players and balancing encounters. And, uh, how have you kind of worked that out as, as you've gone along? It's
2: interesting because, um, I guess I always want to make sure I break it out. What have I learned is important because I'm definitely learning things. You know, I'm not a diligent note taker. So I haven't wrote any of these things. down. <laughs> so I learned them. They're in my head somewhere. And now you're asking me to retrieve <laughs> this highly disorganized information. Um, and then the Welcome. other one, I uh, know it's great. It's a great question. Um, the other one was, how do you balance like ch- player challenge? I want to make sure. Yeah. yeah. Answer that. So I'm actually going to write down and chicken scroll all these things. Um, What have I learned? Well, I mean, I've learned all. There's always these tiny little lessons, I think, that come across. Because I think, for the most part, I've never... It's hard to tell. I haven't really ever gotten any really negative feedback ever from DMing. And it's hard to tell if people are just really grateful to have a DM when they want to play that, you know, they just refrain from, from any criticism. <laughs> <I>
0: mean, <laughs> it can be hard to find DMs. I'm really like,
2: I, I I, people are like, you know, some people are like, oh, you're a really great DM. And I'm like, really? I'm just happy, I'm just happy to see DMs in the world. Isn't that what it is? But, um, you know, maybe it's just for whatever reason. It, it just works for me. Um like based on sort of person, like adjacent skills come together to make DMing like kind of a, you know, thing. I mm-hmm. like stories. I like narrative. I have, you know, I've, I've had aspirations to write plays and to, to just write, to be, to create dramatic works, but that never really became my calling. <clears throat> but I've, you know, spent a lot of time thinking about it. I've spent a lot of time doing it. So I, that knowledge kind of, I think must exert itself somewhere express itself somewhere in there um but we talking about me and you asked about what, what i learned sorry got focused <laughs> <No worries>. um, <laughs> trying to keep myself on on topic um but um i think that you know there's this idea that like i'm a good deal and maybe that's true or it's not I, I i don't know but like every week there's something where i'm like eh, i could have done that better a lot of it has to do with, um, you know, when you do a show in front of people, uh, the collective group will be smarter than you about the rules and will be smarter than you about actual physics. I remember at one point I made a metal elevator floor fall faster than the people, also the players and the enemy zombies falling as well. And a lot of people who had a knowledge of, <laughs> a basic knowledge of physics wrote in to suggest that all things fall at the same speed.
1: And how I dare that. they!
2: I was happy to learn that. And I think that's how people engage with content. <laughs> when they see something <laughs> incorrect, they, as long as they're polite about it and they're not, sure, mean, sure. They're not mean about it. Um, there's constantly physics and chemistry, chemistry information I'm learning all the time, because the funny thing is it's like a world where you can, you know, I was reading the creation spell. You can just make a vegetable. <laughs> vegetation up to five foot cube out of nothing for twenty four hours. So it's ridiculous, right? hmm But then you'll still have people be like, that's not how physics works. And I'm like, but in this world does that matter? <laughs> but I'm still happy to learn it, but I just think it's funny. Um and I think part of it is too, we didn't set it in magical fantasy land. The campaign's in a Mad Max world on Earth. So there's some sense that our real world knowledge and science exists here and is butting up against you know the D&D rules
0: (laughs) and whatever that is it's like
2: you know uh, (laughs) constant worry about my campaign at first I kind of soft ban create destroy water (laughs) I was like can't just one mage solve the desert by being able to make (laughs) a ton of water Uh, did I just not screw this completely but then I was like nah F it like uh, you know whatever that'll be the story if the story is we found the magical water spell to just wash the place up and turn it into water world then then fine um i'm not breaking forgotten Realms' story or whatever <laughs> by, by having ridiculous stuff like that so i mean that can totally be the story um the things i learned are just little things like that mostly little rules um the other thing that i learned uh significantly with our group and there will be dungeons is that I mostly p- play with friends, so the kinds of campaign challenges, things they find funny or entertaining or whatever, uh, and this seems like the most obvious thing. But <laughs> people are different; have different personalities, you know. Making the, we had a in the campaign the so Frog Hemoth is a creature; it's a mm-hmm. giant frog monster. I mean, I don't remember its origins. I didn't use the origins in Five E from them. I just kind of well, they haven't figured out the frog hemoth species, where they're from. All they It's know just is a it, cool monster. It transformed and took off into outer space and flew to its home planet. Because they didn't yeah. actually... I don't think they killed it, right? No, it took they did They let it live. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was a point in there where I'm like, <laughs> you know what would be really cool? What if... So the pixies in our world, when they're ground into dust, they turn into, like, super cocaine. And that's what the people, you know, the drug addicts of the world <laughs> like to... Keep pixies in you know little aquariums and lab places, and then crush them into dust when they die they they crush into dust and then they sniff it and you know smoke it or whatever, and they get the most insane hallucin <laughs> hallucinations yep <laughs> and um and so anyways, they get loose, and a corrupt vampire just magically transforms them all into a pixie hulks, so they're now massive. And the Frog Hemoth gets loose and starts killing these things and finds them delicious and he eats about a hundred Pixie Hulks, so he's really high and he turns into the Mega Frog Hemoth and he's changing all different colors and he's crazy. I'm like, this is awesome. And he's so big that he can just pick up the party and eat them. And then they spent they spent three or four episodes navigating the insides of the Mega Frog Hemoth and. Um, John really hated it.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> and, and it's okay. He's just like, I mean, really hated it where he's like, I hate inside stuff in any movie in any trope. And I'm, you know, to me, I was like, this is I'm a genius. This is a smash hit. Like, <laughs> it. You know, uh, I don't I don't know if, if Kristen loved it that much, but you know, she played along and Kyle played along, but John was like, just I can tell. I you know, I I know him. I can tell something was up with with it was a little more than just role playing his character, like, oh, this is icky. It's just like, oh, I'm not into this. And we did it for weeks. And um because it was like basically a dungeon. Like, you know, I turned the inside of a frog hemith into the dungeon they had to explore. And um and uh yeah, so players are different. So now like we have a flush wall currently. So, you know, I just I'm not doing that, you know, to I'm just aware that John doesn't <laughs> dig these things. You know, they're probably going to have to to tr- travel through some an uncomfortable spot or two, but like, you know, we have very different players and keeping, keeping everyone sort of engaged on that level mm-hmm. Um, because we're telling kind of a highly personal story is it's a challenge I like, but it, it's very difficult and I, I don't necessarily recommend it too too much. As crazy as that sounds, it's kind of, it's it's managing expectation i think for your players too is a you know a learning part of it as well yeah well, i don't know that's the best answer i got
1: for the learning <laughs> well with stuff like that um like Obviously, any DM kind of has, you know, like an kind of an overarching idea of a story or at least something that, you know, they'd like the players to kind of jump into and, uh, you know, interact with and everything um, based on different things that uh, you've created and, you know, feedback from your players and everything. Do you find yourself like adjusting things or just kind of, uh, uh, you know, like uh, things you learn about, like the physics of the world and stuff, um, changing things from what you've actually created for your world? Uh, yeah,
2: for sure, for sure. Trying to think of a specific example, but like you know, we I talked a little bit how after the end of every show is when I start prepping the next one. Mm -hmm. What that the 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 actual literal task that involves in, you know, I'll walk home from work. It's about 40 minutes. That gets your blood circulated, gets my brain going. Guaranteed, about 20 minutes into the walk, I'm now on my phone, walking and typing into the pad. The ideas I just came up with, right? review them later when I get home. If I have quiet time, I'll send an email to myself somewhere throughout the day when I'm busy doing other things,
0: mm-hmm.
2: make sure to do this, make sure to do this, change this. So, you know, I do adjust things, um, based on it. I even, you know, hope having that history in the city of Tietkala was not there at the start. I didn't make the connection. I just thought it kind of thought it'd be cool to have a vampire tiefling. I was coming up with a character called Monsoon Cabbage. He was an ancient vampire who had secret control of the 26 block gang in Trashburg. And, you know, he didn't present himself as a vampire to them. He was a criminal lord and he couldn't get back into the castle because another, well, not an ex-vampire who was transformed into a Medusa had control of the ruling class in the castle, so he would never get invited in, and he had no way to, you know, he just had to bide his time outside until he could find a way in and retake the kingdom for Tiefling kind and unleash an army of vampires. I didn't make the connection that Hope was also Tiefling when they first arrived there, and I was concocting this sort of elaborate, you know, which way will they get in? And we are all the players and just, you know, set the players in motion and uh, the NPC that what I mean, players, mm-hmm. I mean, the NPCs in motion with the players <clears throat> see what happens. And um, so I didn't make that connection until some point. And I don't remember exactly when, but it just kind of like, I'm like, would she have a connection to this place? And what would be shocking and not mm-hmm. just sort of feel like I pulled it out of my butt, but like actually make sense. So it's kind of fun, you know when you watch like a show like Breaking Bad, you kind of get the sense that sure they were writing it as they were go along, but they probably had some plan, right, yeah, yeah, so what if they didn't have a plan and they just <laughs> wrote episode one? <laughs> And then it was time to do two, and you're like, what's going on with oh, two? Oh, so it's more like Lost. Okay. And so that's my writing process. <laughs> and the, the reason, yeah, maybe, but the, it has to be that way in d and I think. Like, when you're looking at a module, you're just kind of planning some convenient stuff for you. But I think if you're kind of having fun with the players, and you're having fun as a DM, uh, there's no reason to stay on script, unless your players are like, I want to play the adventure that you purchased the canonical version. <laughs> and, uh, the, the reason, and there's some DMs that are like that. I played with a DM who like he didn't like it when you know I got into the fight with the blacksmith and pushed down all of her shelves because she was being a beat. Can I say that? I was upset with the shopkeep. and I decided to push over the the things and be you know pushy. Well, there was I wasn't sure if she was a part of. I'm not good with conspiracies when I play D and think everyone's guilty. Um, so I I mistreat innocent people quite regularly. (laughs) Um, and so I'm pushing down our shelves, right? He's Mm -hmm. like, this isn't the book. I I don't know what to do. Cool. I'm sorry. You know, well, we want to have fun. So if you're just feeling like not everyone is like turbo improv, can think off the top of their head a lot. So you want to playing a mana that's comfortable for everyone. So someone might want the canonical curse of Strahd. And when you put in a giant burp monster, <laughs> they're going to be mad.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: But, um, <clears> how <throat> I, my method is literally, <laughs> I've got three hours of D and D to do. Let's just worry about those three hours. Any other ideas that extend farther, I'll write them down, but I, I'm not committed to any of them. And then once we do that show, it's time to do the other one. So, And the reason for that is player agency. The more I'm married to the hours and hours of investment that I've done for like 10, sometimes I'll be like, oh man, I've got 10 episodes of content planned. And then I need the players to go right and they go left. And I tried to make left look unenticing. And the more I try to make (laughs) such and so unenticing, the more they want to go. Or the more I'm just like, eh. Then they say something like, and this really triggers me, oh, that's that's a part of the video game you can't go to, right? You know, sometimes like you're <laughs> in a map in a video game, and yeah. it looks like there's an interesting thing, but you know, because you're a trained video game player, that mm-hmm. it's designed for you to go a certain path. And whenever they do that to me, that's when I double down and be like, no, they can go down that path. Throw it all the other stuff. Well, I don't throw it out, but... yeah. I take Put it back on the shelf on the left, and I rotate it around. Onto the left.
0: Uh, if I can, enough. you
2: know, it, it, it's you know, I, I repurpose what I can in a way that yep. makes sense. Um, but you know, so you never really throw anything out. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, everything but,
0: can be repurposed and reskinned at some point.
2: Yeah, but 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 the idea being that the less inured I am to a specific blueprint, the more fun I believe players can have. Doing whatever they want. They just want to sit around and pull wings off of mosquitoes.
1: And
2: (laughs) and that's what we're doing. It's my job to make things more enticing for them than doing the pull-off mosquitoes. Make the mosquitoes, uh, you know, big. There you go. Right. If they pull off too many mosquitoes, you summon the mosquito god. Mm Mm-hmm. And the mosquito God is a CR 20 badass and <laughs> <laughs> party wipe time. And that's what I mean. That's the benefit of only playing three hours. Cause then they might be pulling wings off mosquitoes. And then you're like, I didn't think of this in session, but now that I have the benefit of a bit of reflection or a good meal in mm-hmm. me, I'm like, Oh, Oh wait. Or someone says something, you know, a, a listener might just say, I'm surprised this didn't happen. I'd be like, Hmm, maybe that will happen. Uh So you never know when those ideas are going to come. And so being flexible in that way is I I enjoy it much more than just having this blueprint and trying to stay stuck to whatever that mm-hmm. blueprint is. It's more fun for, for me as the DM, too, I guess.
1: Well, overall, do you have because I know that you've created the, uh you know, the, just like the map of the area and stuff. Do you have kind of like a vague idea of like, OK, what's happening in this area here in case they stumble upon that section or or if they go this way, what they might encounter?
2: I have vague notion of any key area that sort of relates to the overall plot. Mm-hmm. Um, so very early on, I established a character called the principal mm-hmm. and the principal, if we only had played 20 weeks, I never would have met him. The principals like, like Jesus, like Muhammad, like Putin, like a name you hear a <laughs> lot. Maybe you've seen image of them, but you never meet them and they never directly impact your life. Mm-hmm. Just, you hear names all the time in your life of people you never meet, people of legend. And so, very quickly, came up with the idea of the principle. And of course, his forces would be present because this is frontier territory to them, where, like, you know, the party's indigenous to this wild desert, that there would be a more established post apocalyptic civilization to whom that this is the frontier and that would form the source of the conflict. So we've got the Toyota host, which is the general army, just a bunch of yahoos, car parts hanging off them for armor,
0: mm-hmm.
2: you know, berserkers and wild men and women. And then I'd have an elite cast of orcs who worshipped a perverted form of Christianity um, called chromianity. And, you know, they were modeled after a Japanese samurai, just like all kinds of little pieces, a pastiche of, current day cultures sort of put together into this you know, post-apocalyptic belief system. So I wanted them to be present and them to go all like, oh, the principal's amazing. And they'd never met the principal for a year of playing after, you know, 52 sessions. And I did a brief little introduction and, and so those things I think about and have knowledge of, right, who they are, what they're doing, what the great principal's city is, and the option is always there for them to just Go there. In fact, uh, they've brokered some sort of agreement between nations because Hope is now the queen of Tietcala, and the principal has proposed trade relations and proposed building a railroad to the city. Which I hope they find a. I hope they find a way on the train. This kind of talk about armies versus armies, which is something we can do too. But I kind of hope there's a little bit of you know disguising themselves and hop on the train and. Mm-hmm you know, doing the whole rogue thing, but this party's not stealth. <laughs> no. At <all>. Definitely not. <laughs> not even remote. That's not even remotely in their DNA. Like, the characters, I'm not sure if the players, like, the one that I would expect the most roguelike stealth abilities from would be John, who plays Stanley Billings. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, his character is just not that. So, yeah. I don't think, <laughs> see, that's what I mean. by like, if I prep too much of the adventure, like, you have to sneak on this train Mm -hmm. and all things are such that you have to sneak on this train to make this thing. I prepped so we can play it because I didn't plan the other stuff. That's like, that's inflexibility. And I think if you DM a lot, you start to realize that like inflexibility just sort of Mm -hmm. deflates the experience. So, you know, that's that fine balance of not spending too much time prepping your world, (laughs) hoping they'll just do specific things. And then just being like, you got a box of tokens or you know miniatures, and just being like, okay, today we're fighting goblins because you guys are being annoying. <laughs> <They're pretty
0: goblins. laughs> yeah. Um, the other um, thing,
2: I, oh sorry, I have more. You asked me what I learned. Oh, no, no, go okay. ahead, go ahead, keep going. It's a conversation, but I got one other one too, is that um, throw lots of bad guys at them. That's fun. <laughs> don't make, don't make. And this sort of this is the other part was like, how do you balance things? It's like. I try to be careful, but I don't try to balance them. Like, I think if they earn the ire of the local gang, they're fighting 100 people in the street. Mm-hmm. And I think <laughs> if, you know, I think a good example of, of my philosophy on this is when you fire a rocket launcher at a monk who knows you're coming and is waiting, he will catch that rocket, and he will throw it back at you, and you die, uh, which actually happened. Um they didn't permanently die, but you know they had mm-hmm. to have a, an arm and a leg amputated and put on with robot arms. Um, there are consequences to recklessness and um, I learned that uh, this is really good <laughs> like part you know your, your players have a, the players I play with in Derby Dungeons have a deep attachment to the characters where they they don't want them to die. I think I think all players on some level do, maybe except me, I kinda I care but I'm kinda okay with my character dying, I don't know why. But like a lot of players like are attached to their creations and the story that they're telling and it, it seems so sad to just have it abruptly end, but for the game to feel like it has weight or merit, you do have to like scare them, you do have to not always say yes and give in to their demands, you know, in terms mm-hmm. of what they sort of expect the world to do for them. And finding that balance point between, you know, you're not doing it to be mean, you're doing it to make an interesting, engaging world that doesn't just crumple to its will, at least not to your high level, I suppose, um, is part of the challenge, but it's that's the balance I look for. Is that, you know, uh, this week, have you guys, uh, I don't know, I ripped off two of Varel's fingers.
1: Oh, uh, man. Uh,
2: just the enemy he was facing was very strong, like Probably the strongest, like strength-wise, thing they face, and he mm-hmm. had him grappled. So he's just like, "Well, finger off, finger off." Yeah. First two attacks ripped off two fingers, and um a lot of hijinks <laughs> about where those fingers ended up, <laughs> suit, which is really funny. Yeah,
1: I can, uh, I can see that. <laughs> but you can't be scared to get a little
2: bloody with the players.
1: Yeah, well, it, on the I, other, I mean, yeah. even more so, the world that you created is. Like, yeah, it's a Mad Max world. It's a very dangerous place, which is something that, uh, I mean, ever since like episode one has been known to the players, too. You know, that the, all the actions that they have and everything, like you said, do have consequences. But it, the fact that you're willing to just be all like, look, you did this hundred dudes right now. All of them have guns. They're shooting you. I mean, it, it goes to show that. You put enough thought into the world itself to, you know, give them these situations that they themselves are creating.
0: Yeah. And I, I know personally, sometimes when I'm, especially when I'm starting a new campaign, I like to throw something much higher level against the characters. Maybe not in a, this is going to just total party kill you way, but just in a way of, hey, there are things out in this world that are stronger than you, and I want to show you that—that that you're not the big cheese all the time.
2: Yeah, it's got to be earned, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Very yeah, least. and then you earn it with your kingdom, and you go to some other kingdom, and no one cares until you lop off a few heads, and then the show
1: <laughs> Exactly. <to be> nice.
2: <laughs> yeah, and stuff like that—that that, that sort of consistency—I really get it, get into. It um, that one thing you said too about, um, the thing about like that kind of description where you're like, I have a hundred guys chase them down with guns is that you know in real life it's a pretty short chase i would think unless you got really lucky um in D, uh guns do a laughably low amount of damage <laughs> 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 like it's, it's almost comical like you, you know and if you compare it to uh cyberpunk 2020 where the system there is designed to because you could get shot in the foot and die from t- tissue shock. I think they call it tissue shock. Um, but you you can just die from from the sudden changing in your body. Mm-hmm. You get shot. One person can get shot in the foot and die. Another person can take fifteen, you know, AR forty seven bullets and keep going. Especially if he's like on some kind of drug, right? Mm-hmm. And and that system recognizes that you get shot in the foot and just die because there's rules for shock, and you can just die from tissue shock. You take one point of damage and fall over from a shot in your foot. And I'm like like that's hard. that's actually hardcore. So if a hundred guys <laughs> in that game system run at you, you're basically dead. Unless there's like some kind of miracle or Deus Ex machina thing that happens <laughs> or whatever, like you are you are done. So D and D is like, okay, there's a hundred lizard folk with laser cannons and like forl takes fifteen shots and like <laughs> you know, it's just like whatever. <laughs> like, it's a lot of damage and it's concerning, but really but it's raging.
0: Just- I mean, you survive. I mean, <laughs> we know, you, survive. We know, we you know, know, whenever you get really mad, you just don't take that much damage.
1: Yeah. I mean, and I think that fifth edition actually does a really good job of mitigating a lot of different things. And, you know, this balance pretty decently. So, you know, if, if you are a barbarian and you're raging half damage, um, you know, you still have to roll to actually hit depending on, you know, um, I don't know, gang member thirty seven what's his decks you know he he might have a really horrible modifier and might miss and you know there there's balance in there as well do you guys run homebrew
0: campaigns i do yeah we both uh yeah we both do you mine is mine load. is more like world but within more traditional d and d confines But it's a completely like the world, the continents, the locations, the politics, all of that is custom.
1: Yeah. Same here for the most part.
2: Yeah. And what's your, what do your guys' like, you know, prep look like, you know, in terms of
1: your routine for it? Oh, it, it can vary. Um, I, I have overarching ideas of like, okay, this is what's happening in these places in the world. And then when you know when the party gets there or when what's happening and stuff that's when things kind of kick off but meanwhile because they left this other place there's something else going on there and you know when they get back you know something might have run its course or there might still be you know some problems or something there so i i have at the moment just kind of like a smallish area of a few towns and stuff um so it's not a whole lot to juggle yet but um you know, once they get into like the larger world and everything, I have ideas of, okay, this would be something that's kind of cool that if they get to this place would be really neat, you know, just ideas of that. I've got like a, you know, an overarching story that kind of ties in with some of the characters and stuff that, you know, they're going to be discovering things as it goes and stuff like that.
0: Yeah. I think mine, I have, I kind of have a master document and it's got like, a few large, here are some overarching things that are happening in the world. Because I I kind of approach the world building as, okay, players aside, let's pretend the players don't exist. What is going on in this world right now? What is happening? What are the politics? Then you throw the players into this world. And then you kind of just see what happens based upon what is actually going on in the world. So a lot of times, I'll have kind of the, the big ideas, I like to Prep the big ideas, but then I I really try and narrow in on it as the players are experiencing experiencing things, and then kind of figure out where to go from there. And then if they clash with some of the periphery stuff, it makes it even more interesting because then all of a sudden this thing that I know is going on on the side that they don't know about, all of a sudden they become embroiled in. And so it it makes for a really interesting living world, which they they seem to find pretty fun.
1: Yeah, and I found that like you know in depth prep and everything, just like you, I it doesn't work. You know, just have an idea of like here's kind of a jumping off point, and then having kind of some loose threads of ideas of what might happen, but. You know, be very open to, you know, well, if they go right, they're going this way and nope, they're just going to turn around and walk the other way and just yeah. have something ready, you know, spur of the moment or shift things around and, and everything like that. Like, it's one of the things that Ryan and I have talked about on the show before is just flexibility overall as a DM is probably the best thing you can possibly do. Yeah, no, no, I, I think. Have. I
0: think one of the things Bo was talking about was, was really good too. And I, I found every single time I try to prepare something too specific mm-hmm. or too far ahead and my players don't do it. That's when things get frustrating for me because then it's just like, Oh, I want them to do this. This is so cool in my head. I want them to. Why didn't, why didn't they do this, that, or the other? And so I, I've tried to mostly stop doing that because it only, it only leads to frustration. And like Bo was saying, you know, if you if you do have something neat, they don't end up doing it, repurpose it, reskin it. And they'll experience it in anyways, but potentially just in a different situation.
1: Exactly.
2: Yeah, yeah. I see I think for me, like if we're getting to like very specific like prep steps. If I have a dungeon, I usually Sketch out the map or I try to proactively make it with the tiles because then I'm not I'm having less problems matching my imagination yeah. with the tiles if I get to that point. And you're not doing a bunch and, of extra work probably. Yeah, and then it's just a it's just a question of what's in you know, I do a little legend one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, what's in this room, what's in mm-hmm. this room, what's in this room. Because usually if they're traversing from, you know, entrance of this area to a villain, uh, or to a sort of an end. You're in a more controlled decision environment in terms of where I'm, where am I physically going, Mm -hmm. what's happening in here, whereas if you're in like the open world, they could go anywhere, and you're also having like these random encounter tables, which I like random encounter tables in my party, because they have vehicles, they just drive past everything. It's kind of annoying.
1: (laughs) I can't, can't, anyways.
2: I have ideas around that, but Um, the uh, the other part is in towns. I just like to name who they are, write whatever is in my head about Mm -hmm. them, like what that character might be like and not really tie them into any plots. I guess the one trouble with modules that I have is that they'll present you with a town and present you with names, but you need to know if there's an intrigue going on, you have to know the network of what's going on and that's studying. (laughs) So if I just make all the people and then just have a general idea, like somebody's bad, but who's it going to be? (laughs)
0: <laughs> and you don't know, and the
2: players don't know the difference, right? Like mm-hmm. you're exactly. gonna suspect someone and then you can decide either that's gonna be a red herring or I just I like that flexibility, and then I do try to write down, you know, in that document where I've just said, you know, here's Ted's confectionery, here's, you know, Josie's coffee shop, here's the bar with this tavern and this is the beer they serve. Just things people would ask about. Titles and names of things. Mm-hmm. And then I'd just kind of wing it from there. And then between sessions, I'd codify the exploration the players have done and then start making connections that way. I'm not even sure if the leader of the 26th block actually started out as a vampire. That might not have been the case. I mean, it's, it's so hard to know because we spent a solid 20 to 30 weeks in that sort of art that period in that town resolving that, that like every week I was like, Oh no, there's this and there's this and there's this and there's this and wait, I've got gods now. And and that was a frustrating thing was <laughs> oh, like, no. you know, part of the story was like, well, there are tieflings that are in limbo thanks to the dead tongue. They're kind of cleric of the dead. Um, put people in stasis, the whole civilization in stasis. And then when they were about to be freed, I was like, Oh no, I've got to come up with their entire society. <laughs> Oops, this is a lot of work. Why didn't I just have to blow up the town? Shit. Um, so you know, uh, sometimes you get more than what you bargained for. Definitely a danger of homebrewing, but it's fun. Yeah, it's worth for sure, it. I enjoy it
1: for definitely.
0: Sure. Um. So one one final thing, because I know I don't want to don't want to keep you too long, uh, just because it is much later there than it is over here. Um, and this is something. I get a lot of DMs asking me and I always try and give a little bit of feedback on is getting feedback from your players or getting useful feedback from your players. Um, A lot of times I've found, and this is not always the case, but players will very rarely proffer direct feedback. Even if you ask them, like, how was the game guys? It was good. It was a lot of fun. And, And I, I guess they it, it seemed like they were having fun. They seem to to be having an enjoyable time. Um, how how do you deal with that, Bo? Do you do you, or do you deal with that very much um, with your players? Do you actively try and get their feedback? Are they are they good at it, or have you found uh, asking in a certain way or asking leading questions really helps you get actionable feedback if you're if you're wanting?
2: Well, I think you're right. That most players are just grateful to be playing, as long as you're not a complete tool. Um, you'll probably just get, thank you for hosting the D&D game. I enjoyed myself. Um, I do, because we are doing the show, I, you know, I do crumble on every harsh criticism and and solicit feedback from the players. And, I've, you know, just always gotten positive stuff, except for the criticism about spending a ton of time inside a Super Frog game with. <laughs> um, which didn't even come out right away. It just came out. I was like, "Yes, this is why I'm being curmudgeon. <laughs> I don't
1: like this place. I hate it. Well, it also <laughs> didn't help that but, he was rolling really poorly, too.
2: Yeah, I, well, someone else rolled poorly, and I made that person's critical fail impact. A lot went wrong there. Um, but i do it again, so I can't really say about any lessons <laughs> there. Um, but the, the, the um, uh, soliciting feedback is that most people are just usually – Pretty great. And honestly, most people are happy because they're not DMs. So they can tell you how their experience was, (laughs) but they can't offer, you know, DM advice, I guess, from that perspective. True. Uh, Now, I do have, you know, John has dabbled in some DMing, but Kyle is like, you know, he's got a little DM show. He's done a lot of DMing. Uh, I assume. I mean, I know he definitely has thoughts and opinions and philosophies, but he's very respectful of the fact that, uh, you know, it's the game I'm running. So we've talked about, you know, D&D and role-playing and stuff like that, but there's never been like, a as one DM to another, maybe you should try doing this. And I think because very much it's, you shouldn't be that worried about soliciting feedback for it. I mean, if the players say they've had fun, then everyone can go home okay. I kind of think it's kind of like, I don't know if you have actors like what what viewer if you're a professional actor and you make acting your art what viewer is actually going to provide you with meaningful feedback about your profession and art Uh, you know it seems it's the kind of thing where like if you work in an office environment it's like you should be polite or in your tone to customers like that's kind of where feedback comes from and I think definitely any artisan who's perfecting their craft has people who they can talk to and seek out for that kind of thing I think your players have not signed up to do that. So pressuring them or having an expectation that they will offer, you know, sage counsel to improve your DMing in a a deeper way is not something they feel like doing or equipped to do, or you shouldn't put too much expectation on. Ultimately, if they had a good time, they had a good time. Question should be, did you have a good time? Because I think the DM is a player at the table It's not someone who decided, I'm going to be the one that's not going to have fun for the greater good (laughs) of everyone else having fun. Totally, totally. I suspect some DMs or some players might view the DM's role as that. And it's not that. I'm not having fun. I'm out. (laughs) Like, I got to do this in such a way that I'm having fun. And so. um, It's a lot
0: of time and effort.
2: Well, there's just kind of this legend built around, you know, DMing. And 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 really, if you were to get out a box of checkers or, I don't know, what's like a good four-player game. I'm going to play Sorry. You know, yeah. No one's like um, everyone's just sitting down, have a good time playing the game. One guy doesn't know the rules a lot. One person really knows the rules. Whatever, you know, it's a fun, casual game. And and I, you know, D and D isn't a game that you aspire to become like a professional top streamer on Fortnite or whatever to be like <laughs> the best D D players. And even I think people misinterpret very popular programs right now in that regard. A critical role, for example, that, that, that expectation is at the table. It's not. It's just a bunch of goobers playing a game. And it's great if everyone was a goober and playing the game, but Mm -hmm. there's no need to, there's no need for DM to be, to be awesome at DMing in order to sit down and enjoy a game of DND. I mean, I played in my teen years. I was definitely bad at DMing. D&D, I was probably hugely inconsistent, probably just gave in to my players to make them smile, mm-hmm. and you know, <laughs> my monsters were ridiculous and probably didn't line up to any stat blocks, and I was probably lore inconsistent with the Dragonlance universe, because I was a kid, and I didn't care, you know? Like So, <laughs> it doesn't mean we didn't sit down and have fun. In fact, one of the people that I hadn't spoke to for about 20 or 30 years messaged me out of the blue and said, oh, we listen to There Will Be Dungeons. And I was like, oh my god, I have talked to you in 30 years. He's like, I really love what you're doing, a kid listens to it, thinks you're awesome. I'm like you have a kid, you know, and so like <laughs> it's kind of cool, just like that he remembers that. Like, I don't remember what the quality of the game was, but we were just young people, having a good time. It's kinda doesn't matter. Um, so uh the point being that I think if you're looking to elicit feedback, it just probably means you want to do a good job and you want to do it right by your players, and that's a good sign. And now just turn that turn that off <laughs> you know you know if they say you had a good time that's that's really all you need now if you if you you know i think i imagine both of you i think we all do this as dms you know like the um the playwright who writes his play but then he gives it to the director and actors and they're just going to kind of do whatever and so you just sit in the back of the theater and just listen to the reactions mm-hmm. from the audience right I think we all do a little bit as DMs, like we're participating. Where there's a part of us that's sitting in the back of the theater, watching the audience, watch what you've wrought in the world. Yeah. And that's probably where you'll find your most useful, self-sufficient tool. Are the players smiling? Are they yawning? Yawning doesn't necessarily mean it's bad, but why are they yawning? When do they perk up, why do they perk up? Are they, you know, how often are they checking the phone? Is it just because the phone's there and we need to get rid of the phone? Or is it because, like, I find room descriptions, like, if you ever run modules, sometimes the room descriptions are terrible. They're, you know, half a page, you know, it's one column just full of salient information. Most players I play with have the attention span of a gnat. (laughs) So I can't. I'm not going to invest a bunch of time writing my own blocks of tests for people at the end of it to go, Oh, uh, so where's the door? <laughs> uh, who did you say was in this room again? You know, like, and I don't know why I'm using that voice, but <laughs> that's a sign. If you keep doing room descriptions and everyone's like asking a hundred questions because they didn't listen to any but then don't do room descriptions. You're in a room. There's a door to the left and there's a guy there. He's got a roll of toilet paper in his hand. <laughs> and just let you know the less you say the more they can kind of fill in and they'll probably pick up on the salient game information okay i'll take a breath
0: cool no that's 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 great i think that's i think that's some some really good advice and uh really uh are appreciative uh of you for coming on and mm-hmm. dropping some some knowledge bombs and just kind of uh, chatting a little bit about your experience.
2: Is it, is it knowledge? Was it helpful or
0: no, definitely good in any way. Yeah.
2: See, I miss me asking, was I a good interviewee? I (laughs) feel like I ramble a lot, but you know, people like it. I mean,
1: personally, I enjoyed it. and I mean, the the big thing that uh, Ryan and I, you know, try to do with the shows just kind of discuss things, get different viewpoints because you know every DM, every player has something to contribute, something to give, and you know they see things differently. So having you come in, talk about your world, your universe, and you know how you create and everything has been an absolute treat, and I'm very happy to have you on.
2: Well, yep, thank you, thank you both. Very much, very much. Agree. I could I could do, do another hour and a
0: half if you wanted. To. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe episode up. twenty. Yeah, we'd Certainly. love to have you back definitely. Yeah. yeah. I no, I I love hearing from other DMs. It's it's great to kind of see what other people are doing because one of my biggest things in D&D is if you like something, steal it. And sure. it's there's a lot of really interesting things you've said that I'll probably steal. And it's that's the great thing about the game is it's it's very collaborative and it's it's very um, unique in the fact that it's it's your own thing. If you see some cool stuff, use it, right? If you see something cool that somebody is doing and you want to integrate that, great, do it. That's awesome. And mm-hmm. uh, hopefully you and your players will be better for it. Exactly. Well, Beau, um before we get out of here, why don't you kind of... Sure. do Just, the, the spiel. Yeah, let let people know about you, because I mean, it's uh, you, you run the really cool show. You're you're a really interesting guy. Why don't you tell people where they can find you, where they can find your shows and your other content?
2: All right. So on, well, actually, you know what? The easiest thing to say is uh, bo I assume the spelling is going to be correct in the, in the show description when you download the show. So <laughs> spellings there.
0: You got to make a note of that, phone. But it's
2: B E A U S C H W A R T Z dot com. And that's just the one spot where you can find everything. Cause I made a site because, you know, on Twitter, you can only put one thing and I don't like listing out 50 different things. So makes go to the website. There you'll find links to, I do four podcasts now. So I've got uh core which is about pc gaming and i've got good batter bullshit which is just friends of mine arguing ones that i've played dnd with in real life and they're always like can we play in your game And I'm like, <laughs> no you guys are misfits uh and um i just started launched the first episode of my own personal ranting show called the bow show um there may only ever be one episode but it's there and uh of course there will be dungeons where i dm Every Sunday between six and nine Eastern, uh, the links to where you can watch live and all that will be on my site. So, yeah, and I'd stream a bit here or there, you know, have the occasional prescient tweet. So, if you want to follow, all those links are there. And I make music. Yes, he so did. the links to my SoundCloud are on there too. Sometimes I get requests for some of the show intros I've done, um, <clears throat> so you can find all that goodness over there too.
0: And I can attest that it is actually really cool music. Core definitely had uh, some of the the best intros.
2: Yeah, I'm in working on a new one, but it's Ooh, no.
0: very cool! Spoilers. I've been working on it for like eight
2: months. No <laughs> like, spoiler. People have been asking me, I'm like, I'm getting to it. Christ.
1: <laughs> well, Ben, where can everybody find us? Well, gosh, Ryan, that's the that's the wonderful question. Um, if you are looking for the show itself, best place to look is on Twitter at DN Discussions. And of course, we are on DN dot com for all of our episodes, uh, as well as on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, like everywhere. That, that's just where we are. Um, if you're looking to contact us, you know, if you have any questions, comments, want to tell us about some of your DMing and homebrewing experiences, you can always send those emails to dndiscussions at gmail.com. And, of course, hit us up on the Twitter because, uh, oh, God, I actually said the Twitter. Hit us up on Twitter and, uh, you know, we'll respond and, and uh, chat all over the place with you. Uh, Ryan, if people are looking for you specifically, though, uh, where might they find you?
0: You can find me on the Twitters at TBK I'd love to talk. Anything. D D uh video games and uh my new recent hobby miniature painting. Yeah it's, your miniature uh, painting's pretty awesome it's, actually. It's been a lot of fun. I, I 3D print models mostly because it's much cheaper. Yeah <laughs> than actually going and buying them. And then uh then I've been painting them and it's been a lot of fun and I'm actually this weekend Am entering my first miniature painting competition in the beginner category and my ulterior motive is it's a beholder painting competition and you get a beholder model for entering to paint during the three-hour time span and i've had the hardest time finding one because they're sold out every single freaking time so that's Kind of an ulterior motive. I get a beholder. Yep. Uh huh. I get a beholder model out of it too. So that it should be a lot of fun. But I'm I'm looking. For
1: it. Oh, very cool. Uh, if you're looking for me, I am not painting miniatures though because I am horrible at it. Uh, but you can follow me on Twitter. I'm at Ben Bumhoffer, where I retweet random funny things, talk to people, and uh, I don't know. I I think my GIF play is 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 decent. So if you want to follow me check it out there uh, but everybody thank you very much for listening to this episode of DN Discussions Bo, again thank you very much for joining us it yes. has been oh. a pleasure the honor was mine Aww. and uh Ryan until next time um well thank you for being here too I you know I can't not thank you you're pretty cool you're welcome <laughs> I am honored
0: as well <laughs> thank you <laughs> thank you Co, for being here as well exactly <laughs> yeah. Yep, and, well uh, uh <laughs> we're all this awkward, is like the we? most awkward way to end the <laughs> show ever yeah. we'll see
1: you guys next week alright be good to each other and goodbye